Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Bryce Hales. I'm the pastor here at Resurrection OC. Let me invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 10. As we continue uh, our, this series that we've been in this, uh, this spring, looking at the I Am sayings of Jesus in the Gospel of John. John chapter 10, if you, uh, if you didn't bring a Bible with you, you can find a blue Bible near you on the ground and uh, follow along uh, in John chapter 10, there's on page 896. Let me invite you to stand with me as we give our attention to God's word together. John 10, starting at verse 1, Jesus says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they they will not know, or they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. And so Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they, the sheep, may have life and have it abundantly. And we'll pause uh, there for now. Uh, This is God's word. Would you pray with me? Oh, Father, we pray this morning as we give our attention to your word that you would speak to us by your word and through the power of your Holy Spirit that we might understand uh, more of who Jesus is and what he has done for us, and so be eager to enter through the door that he has become for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated, please. This past week, our family was watching one of these animal shows on, uh, on, uh, on Netflix that um, it, it, there used to just be one. You know, I think uh, the first one was, um, oh, I forget what it was called. The Planet Earth, that's what it was called. But there's, there's, a hunt, there's bunches of these now. And there's this new one on Netflix, I think it's called Our Planet or One Planet or something like that. And, it, it, you know, where you just see these incredible images of, of uh, it just blows your mind. How were they able to capture this? This uh, cinematography, these these images of these animals, and uh, and uh, it, it's always in, in, in impressive just to to see the the diversity of life on this planet. There's little birds that do the you know the male birds that do their little dances to impress the ladies uh, is one of my favorites. But it um it always whenever I watch one of these shows, it always reminds me of. Uh, the kind of narrative arc from that first uh, that first Planet Earth uh, series, uh, narrated by David Attenborough. He's got this perfect, you know, voiceover voice that I just love. But the the, the narrative arc where he talks about the emperor penguin, and uh, the emperor penguins there there are like over half a million emperor penguins. But the emperor penguin is the only animal that stays on the ice 
in Antarctica throughout the winter. Um, and the emperor penguin, what they do is that uh, the, they, they, they kind of travel, you know, 20, 150 kilometers inland over the ice, uh, and the female lays an egg, and then she gives it, having given, you know, laid this egg, she transfers it to her mate, the male. And the male stands there while she goes fishing. And she goes and eats for two months, while the man and all these male penguins stand there and it gets down to like 76 degrees below Fahrenheit, below zero Fahrenheit and the winds are howling and, uh, and all these male penguins just stand there kind of huddled together with their backs to the wind uh, keeping the eggs on their feet to keep it off, 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 off of the ice. And after two months the females just in time uh, they come back and the eggs hatch and the, uh, the male gives the, the baby they, you know, and they, they find their mate. And the, the, the ladies come back and they all start calling. <laughs> and they're all, uh, and they, they find their mate. And it's, it's amazing. And they kind of do this dance where they transfer back and forth. And then the, the, the males go and they go get food and then they bring it back and they bring food back for the babies. And then the, the females leave again. And they travel thousands of kilometers and yet every single time they come back and, uh, and they find their mate. They recognize the, the call of, of this one. You know, they all look exactly the same, right? <laughs> like, they don't have names. Like, you understand this. Like, they're just penguins, and yet they find that one, that one penguin. And I was thinking about that as I was reading this passage this week and thinking about it. When uh, you hear Jesus say, um, my sheep recognize my voice. Uh, my sheep recognize my voice. Uh, you, you, get, you get a sense for uh, just the tender care. My sheep know my voice. Uh, and this passage is really a glimpse of what it means to be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus in this world, in this world where uh, there, there are kind of, there are so many voices and there, there are many times when it just feels like there's this cacophony of, of sound and, and, and voices calling for our attention and our affection and our time and our energy. And Jesus says that my people, that a, a, a Christian is somebody who recognizes my voice uh, over the sound, uh, over the cacophony of noise in this world. Jesus is saying that um, my sheep know my voice and they follow me. And he's explaining what it looks like to follow him in this world. Uh, where he ma- and he makes this, this, this great I am statement saying I am the door. I'm the door. And so this passage is about what it means to follow Jesus in this world. And basically what I want you to hear is that following Jesus in this world means that uh, Jesus is our Lord. Um, Lord isn't really a word that we use a lot in, in you know, 2019. But it means, it means he's our leader. Uh, he, he, he's the one who tells us what to do. He's in charge and we, we follow him. He's, he's our leader. Um, but it also means that he brings us life. Uh, he is the source. And he's not simply the source of just existence or, or sustenance or keeping our heads above water. But Jesus says, you know, uh, those, those, who, those who follow me, those who belong to me, I've come that they may have life full and overflowing. Um, I've come that, that you may flourish and thrive. And we're going to talk more about that in a minute. But Jesus is talking about sheep and pastures and shepherds here. And for most of us, I think we're not 
terribly familiar with this kind of like agricultural, agrarian. There's a couple of you that like probably have sheep, but most of us have not spent a lot of time around sheep. And, but this is the world that Jesus lived in. And um, so these are the images that he borrows. And, uh, you know, I think our, our primary, um, well, if you notice what happens in this passage, it's a little bit funny. Jesus starts talking about sheep and shepherds, and, he, and he's kind of, it seems like he's going down the road of talking about false teachers, false shepherds, those who, you know, are more interested in fleecing the sheep than leading the sheep. Um, but then he, it's like he kind of looks out and he sees these blank stares. <laughs> And, and he, I, I, it just brings me so much comfort to know that Jesus, Jesus knows what it's like to be like talking to people and just get this look where it's like nobody's tracking with me right now. And um, those of you that are teachers or speakers understand what that's like. I'm not connecting. And so he changes course and he kind of changes the, uh, the metaphor a little bit. And, and so what we're going to do is focus mostly on verses 7 through 10 where Jesus explains essentially what it means to be a sheep. And what he's talking about is what does it mean to follow Jesus in this world? And so the first thing that I want you to notice is Jesus thinks of us as sheep. <laughs> he thinks of us as sheep. Um, that might not mean much to you. Uh, for many of us, except for like the couple of families here who have a more agricultural kind of lifestyle, <laughs> most of us, our primary association with sheep probably comes from like a children's book. And in children's books, sheep, sheep are really cute, and they're fluffy, and that's part of what sheep are about, but um, that's, I don't think that's exactly what Jesus is, means when he calls us sheep. Uh, several years ago, Ashley and I, some of you know this, um, we went to grad school in Scotland. We lived in Scotland for three years, and Scotland's a small country, and um, anytime you kind of get out of the city, you're instantly on like a two-lane road, and there's sheep everywhere. There's just... Uh, there's just sheep, and um, and uh, everybody goes through this phase where they're like really into photography. So I went through this phase. I was really into photography when we lived in Scotland. It's a great time to be into photography. And and one day we we're uh, we we're actually at the, this beach, and there was these sheep, and they're like climbing on these rocks by the by the ocean. And I see this sheep, and he's like up high on this kind of precipice above me, and I, I snap this picture of him, and and uh, this I should have put this picture up for you guys. It, it cracks us up. I call it the pensive sheep because it's kind of like high and mighty on top of this precipice and he's like backlit so it's just a silhouette of a sheep and it, it's it just the juxtaposition, it looks very serious and dramatic but it's just a sheep. <laughs> um, sheep are, they're kind of cute and they're kind of fluffy but they're also they're not that bright and they're very easily led. In Scotland, people like spray paint their sheep because they wander off and then you can know which one is yours when they, when they come back. I don't, I don't think that um, it's really a compliment when Jesus says that we are sheep. Um, but sheep are fluffy and they're cute, but they're not known for their intelligence. And I think what Jesus is saying to us when he calls us sheep is, you know, like you're cute and I get a kick out of you, but you're probably not quite as bright as you think you are. And you're very easily led astray. Um, you're very easily led astray. Um, in this time, in Jesus' time, shepherds would lead their sheep. And uh, of course, when they were in the town or the village, a shepherd might have a, you know, some kind of a sheep pen attached to the side of his house. 
but mostly what they would do is lead the sheep out into the countryside so they could graze. And out in the countryside, a shepherd doesn't have much with him. And so a shepherd would find some rocks and kind of pile them up and kind of make a, a little makeshift uh, sheepfold or sheep pen to, uh, for the sheep to, to sleep in at night. But this isn't like a well-constructed building and you can't attach a gate or a door to it. And so the shepherd would lie down in the opening and the shepherd would be essentially the door of the sheep pen or the sheep fold. And the shepherd would sleep there at night to, to keep the sheep in because sheep might just wander off in the middle of the night. But he's also there to sleep in the opening to keep danger out. And so we can understand what Jesus is saying when he says, I am the door. He said, I keep you safe. I, I protect you from harm. I lead you in and I lead you out. We're sheep. And Jesus is the door of the sheep. And so it means that he's our Lord. He's our leader. He's the one that we, that we follow. Um, and so I don't know how, how, how that strikes you, but, but let me put it like this. In your world, in your world, you might be kind of a big deal. <laughs> but Jesus thinks of you as sheep. In our worlds, we may think that we're big deals, but Jesus thinks of us as sheep. You know, as I look out at you, I think you are very competent people. And, and um, you know, we have, we have uh, your professionals, your lawyers, your great parents, your, uh, your, your business owners. Uh, you know, you're very competent professionals, but Jesus thinks of you, Jesus thinks of me as sheep. Like, we, we are all sheep. Um, not all of us, but many of us, I think, are accustomed to uh, setting our own goals and our schedules. We're kind of the ones that decide how we spend our time and our money, and because we decide our presence, we think that we determine our futures. But to claim the name of Jesus means that we yield to him, that he is the Lord, and we follow him. Jesus is our Lord. Uh, in this world, you may think that you're a big deal. You may be proficient and successful and self-sufficient, but to be a Christian is to say, I am a sheep. We may be cute, um, but we're f not that bright. We're fairly easily led astray. And Jesus, the great I am, is our Lord and our leader. And so really what, what this passage is talking about and what, what I'm talking about here is discipleship. Um, one of the main words that the New Testament especially uses to describe Christians is the word disciple. The last thing that Jesus said to his uh, you know, followers before he ascended into heaven was, I want you to go and make disciples. Uh, that's what we are here for. And one of the things that I've been praying for our church over the last few months is this, that God, would you help establish a culture of discipleship here at Resurrection OC? Um, one, one of the things that I, would, I want to see happen in our church is that we would make disciples, not just followers. Now, I know that I've just said the word follower uh, a lot. And, the, you know, a follower is not a bad thing. And the Bible talks about Christians as followers. But this week, as I, as I kind of just did a quick, you know, word search in the New Testament, it seems like often the word follower is used for the crowds. You know, Jesus would stand up and he would teach, and, and, and the crowds were amazed. Where he would do these signs, and, and everybody was, and these great crowds, and the crowds that are kind of curious about Jesus are often described as followers. But the word disciple uh, is reserved for those who are committed to Jesus. And I think especially in the kind of social media world that we live in, 
it's really helpful to think about this contrast between followers and disciples. We want to we want to make disciples, not just not just followers. Um, followers can be fickle. Uh, we can follow somebody, but we can unfollow them very easily. So, what's the difference between a follower and a disciple? You know, as a follower, as a follower, I may agree with somebody, um, I may be impressed with somebody, I may support them, I may buy things from them, I might be, you know, I might be their fan. But a disciple is personally invested in the one who leads them. And let me give you an example. So, David Brooks. Um, you know, some of you know who David Brooks is. David Brooks is an author. He's a columnist. He's got a new book, I think, that just came out. And so because he's got this new book, he's kind of all over the Internet right now. And somebody in our church texted me last week, said, hey, here's this great David Brooks article you should read. Um, a friend of mine had shared uh, an interview with David Brooks a week or two ago on Facebook. And I commented and said, I'm really interested in listening to this, this interview with David Brooks because I'm a big fan of his. Um, now, I didn't use the word follower, but like you could kind of say, I guess I'm a follower maybe of David Brooks. Let me just pause right now and say, please don't email me if you don't like David Brooks. Like I, that's not, it's just an illustration. Um, but like, I, I like David Brooks. Um, mostly when I read something that David Brooks has written, I think that, I agree with that. Mostly when I read something he's written, I said, I wish I would have thought of that before he did. Like that's, that's really good. But I'm not, like, invested in David Brooks. Like, I don't, I don't want to become like him. Um, if he was to never not write another book, it wouldn't really affect my life. You could say maybe I'm a follower of his, um, but I'm not his disciple. Um, a disciple, we want to create a culture of disciples here at Resurrection OC. We want to make disciples of Jesus, not just followers. Uh, Jesus, the great I am, is inviting us uh, to not just follow him, but to become his disciple. The God who first appeared as fire has now come in the flesh. And he calls us not to just be interested in him, but to invest our lives in him. Uh, a disciple is one who, who uh, is committed to becoming more like the one that they follow. Uh, a disciple is one who says, I actually find my joy in the, in the joy of the one that I am following. He's our Lord, he's our leader, and we are sheep. And we're cute, but we're easily led astray. We live in a, in a, in a place, in a time, where there's a cacophony of noise and voices that call for our affection, and followers are easily confused. You know, there's somebody on Instagram I was following. I'd been following for like a, he just said something I didn't like. I was like, I'm just whatever. I'm, I'm gonna unfollow him. Followers are easily confused. Disciples, uh, disciples hear the noise uh, th through the noise. Disciples recognize the voice of the Lord who who calls us to follow Him. And so the question that raises then is this: Why? Like, why? why? Like, why become a disciple of Jesus? So the second thing that I want you to see in this passage is that Jesus brings us true life. Why become a disciple of Jesus? The answer, according to this passage, is this, that Jesus is the only Lord who leads us into a more full life. Jesus is the only Lord who leads us into a more full life. And I think this is why he talks about, you know, kind of the false teachers. Um, 
make no mistake about this, you will become the disciple of someone or something. When Jesus says, you are sheep, that's not a commandment. He's not saying, act more like a sheep. He's saying, you are sheep. <laughs> like, you're going to follow something. You're going to disciple yourself to some sheep. That's what they do. They just, they, they're going to follow something. And, um, and, and so you will become a disciple of something or someone because you are sheep, I'm a sheep, we're sheep. And anyone other than Jesus, he's saying, will rob us of life. But Jesus always leads, uh, leads sheep into life that is full and overflowing. Let, let, me, let me unpack that a little bit. Um, this is what I think is so beautiful about Jesus. He understands our longings and our desires. Like, Jesus understands that we want to be content and that we want to be happy and we want to live full, beautiful, meaningful lives. And Jesus does not come and say, just cut it out. And I, and I think that so often, you know, kind of the, this religious impulse uh, that, we, that we feel is, is, okay, I have these desires. I want to live a beautiful, meaningful, full life. And what Jesus is asking me to do is just deny all of that. Um, Jesus doesn't, Jesus understands our desires. He never comes and says, get over it. Uh, I had this, this cross-country coach in high school. In cross-country in high school, you run three-mile races, and it seemed like my coach always, you know, there would be a three-mile race, which means about two miles into the race, there's always a hill right there, just as you're about wanting to give up and quit and everything's hurting, there's a, there's a hill right there. And my coach would position himself about you know, a quarter of the way up this hill, and he would stand there, I just have this like, memory, of, like he would stand there and he'd just shout at me, suck it up, Bryce! <laughs> I'm like, thanks, coach, so encouraging. Suck it up, Jesus never says suck it up. Jesus never says that. Um, he always holds out the promise of the gospel. And this is, this is what we see in verses 9 and 10. Listen to these words again. In verses 9 and 10, Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in, uh, go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. This is what Jesus says is going to happen. There are four things, you know, if you kind of break this down, that he says will happen for those who enter through the door that is Jesus. He says you will be safe. He says you will go in and you will come out. And so what does that mean? Well, think about the imagery of, of the shepherd leading his sheep. Uh, and, and there's this kind of makeshift pen where he, where he keeps them safe. He will lead us in, in, the, in at night and he will keep you safe. Uh, and then he will, he will lead you out and he will, uh, he will provide for you. He will lead, lead you into a into uh, to places where there are where there's food to eat, he's going to provide for you. And then he says, if you enter by the door, you will find pasture. And then finally, he says, like just to make it very clear, he says, I have come that you may have a life that is full and overflowing. And so here's the thing about what Jesus is saying: that's exactly what we want. <laughs> yeah, I don't think anything defines life in South Orange County as much as the desire to live a full, beautiful, meaningful life. Um, and maybe combined with the idea that it's like six months down the road that I haven't quite gotten it yet. We want to live full and overflowing lives. 
We want to live that kind of life, a life that is packed to the gills of meaning and relationships and experiences and, uh, and substance and beauty. And that's great. And Jesus doesn't disparage those desires uh, and tell us to suck up. But what he's telling us is that we seek to satiate our desires with things that can never really satisfy. The things that we look to to satisfy those longings will never actually will never actually um, pay off. And so we look to things like our work or our houses or, you know, vacations or, or um, I, I think some of us, you know, we have this fear of being tied down and so we're always kind of running off uh, to things. Um, and yet Jesus, uh, Jesus says that these things that we look to to bring us life, they are thieves and they are robbers. Uh, in the Greek, the word that he says, that he uses is the word kleptos, which is where we get the word kleptomaniac from. Uh, Jesus says, there are these things that are good, but when you look to them to give you life, they are thieves. They only steal life from you. They are not takers. Uh, they, are, they are takers, rather. They are not givers. And so the problem isn't necessarily that, like, what's wrong with having a job and a house and a car and going on vacation for a while? Nothing. Those are all good things. But when we look to them to be the thing that will give our lives meaning, and, uh, and, and substance and, and fulfillment, um, they, they, they steal life from us. They steal that joy from us. When I, when I pursue even a good thing in a wrong way, if I get it, it never delivers. And that's why they're, they're thieves, because they steal life from us. Um, a thing, an experience, a status, a feeling. Think about this only feels great because it is, in a way, unobtainable. Like, something feels great to us when it feels like it's out of reach to us. And so, by definition, as soon as you get it, it is no longer unobtainable. And so it doesn't feel great, and that's why it never satisfies. Um, let me explain, let me give you an example. Uh, let's talk about work. You know, work is a good thing. It's good to have a job. It's good to do things that are, like, important and meaningful. It's good to provide uh, for yourself and for your family. And yet, so often, and we've all seen this, somebody says, um, you know, we, gotta, we, can, we need to grow. We need to grow our business. We need to, whatever it is, uh, it's got to get a little bit bigger. And so maybe in your head, you, you kind of tell yourself, you know, for the next six months, for the next year, I'm really going to kind of go all in on work, and we've got to see this thing grow. And um, we've gotta, maybe we've got to take down a competitor, but, uh, but we, but we kind of tell ourselves on the front end going in, it's just for a time. It's just for a season. Like, I know I can't do this to my family um, in the long run. Um, it's just for a season. And yet, what happens? You know, sometimes what happens is we don't accomplish those goals and we just kind of are frustrated. And that's a bummer. But sometimes what's worse than that is we actually, like it actually works. And, you know, your, work, your business, whatever it is, grows. And you discover it's grown and now you just have more problems and more responsibilities and you've just kind of raised the bar for yourself. And you know, even the financial reward of your business growing, just you've you know, become accustomed to having more money. <laughs> and so you've got to work harder to maintain it. As soon as you get it, it's no longer great because it's no longer unobtainable. And then what happens, um, 
and I've seen people do this, what often happens is, is that we begin to talk about our work with this kind of like moral imperative. Um, like, like there's this moral like righteousness in, in the growth of our, of our work. And so we used to talk about you know, our competitors as sort of like competitors, and now we talk about them like they're evil. <laughs> and we've got to take down these competitors, and we've got to continue. Why do we do that? Because we have to believe that our work, you know, if that's what we're living for, we have to believe that it is greater than we are. And so we kind of endow it with moral significance. We want to be connected to something that is greater than we are and that feels unobtainable. And yet, if we obtain something by definition, it is no longer unobtainable, so it doesn't feel great to us anymore. So here is the point. Jesus is the only thing that you can both be connected to and yet he remains greater than you. It's the only thing. You can actually be connected to him and when you're connected to him, he doesn't become obtainable you. In Jesus, I always have somebody who's greater than me. Becoming a disciple of Jesus is the only way to be connected to someone greater than you whose greatness isn't diminished the moment that you actually get him. So friends, this is what Jesus is saying. He is saying, if you want life, become my disciple. If you want life, become my disciple. I am the great I am, and you are sheep. And you are looking for something that will satisfy you, but you're easily fooled by things that promise you life, but steal it from you in the end. And so if you want a life that is full of meaning and adventure, become a disciple of Jesus. Enter by the door. And so the final question that leaves us with then is how, right? How do you become uh, a disciple? How do you uh, enter by the door? I mean, that's the metaphor that Jesus is using here. What is it? Um, what does it mean to enter by the door? We'll look at verse 4. Verse 4, it says, When he, the shepherd, um, when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. He says, my sheep know my voice. Uh, you know, it, it makes me think of you know, those of you who are, are parents know this. You can be in a room, there can be kids running around, and they're shouting and everything, but the moment your kid cries, you recognize their voice, right? Because you've invested time, and you care for your child. And Jesus says in, in, in the same way, you know, we, we recognize the voice um, of our shepherd. We recognize the voice of Jesus if we are his disciple, because we've spent time with him. But, um, but the other thing... Um, we recognize his voice but we also follow him so my sheep know my voice and we follow him um, what Jesus is saying is that entering by the door means surrendering our agenda to Jesus and following him as Lord and becoming his disciple it means it means finding our life in his life it means it, it, it means doing something that, that is utterly terrifying and yet the only possible thing we can do uh, if we've really heard his voice and, and understand what, what it is that he's saying. Um, in C.S. Lewis, uh, in, in the Chronicles of Narnia, um, the silver chair is probably the weirdest of the, uh, the books in the Chronicles of Narnia, but there's this great passage in the beginning of, of the silver chair where Jill... Um, 
I think I think maybe Jill's been in Narnia before, but she's never met Aslan. And Jill is kind of represents every one of us. And Aslan is the Christ figure in um, in 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 this series. And um, Jill has, um, through her own foolishness, gotten to, uh, detached from the people she's supposed to be with. And she's wandering through the woods, and she's thirsty, and she's parched, and she comes. Uh, up to this stream, but she, as she approaches this stream where she's going to get water and, and cool her thirst, she discovers the lion, Aslan, is, is lying there. And, uh, and the lion says to Jill, he says, are you thirsty? And she says, I'm dying of thirst. Then drinks to the lion. May I, could I, uh, would you mind going away while I do, said Jill. Uh, will you promise not to, uh, not to do anything to me if I come and drink, said Jill. I make no promise, said the lion. Jill was so thirsty now that without noticing it, she had come a step, cl- uh, step nearer. Do you eat girls, she said. I have swallowed up girls and boys, women and men. Kings and emperors, cities and realms, said the lion. It didn't say this as if it were boasting, nor as if it were sorry, nor even as if it were angry. It just said it. I daren't come and drink, said Jill. Then you will die of thirst, said the lion. Oh dear, said Jill, coming another step near. I suppose then I must go and look for another stream. To which the lion responded, there is no other stream. Friends, there is no other stream. There is no other source of life. What does it mean to trust in Jesus? How do we enter by the door? It means that we recognize his voice when he calls us over the noise and clamor of this world and we do the thing that feels terrifying and yet the only thing we can possibly do. We become his disciple. And we find that having entered by the door, that the thing we thought would kill us actually becomes the thing that will save us, becomes the entry into a life of meaning and adventure and beauty and joy. It is the entrance to a life that is full and overflowing. Friends, this is the gospel of Jesus. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you that uh, you love us. That... um, you call us your own. You call us sheep. And Jesus, I pray that we would know your voice when you call us. Would you help us to hear you? There are so many things in this world uh, promising life and calling for our affection. Jesus, would we hear you calling us through the sound, through the noise. And we would, would we respond give ourselves to you and follow you as disciples. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.